0: All right. Good to see everybody. Um, I was just down at the South Shore San Juan campus and the helicopter was late and coming back up to here. So I apologize for that. Um, a lot of you, a lot of you known me. I, I'm not, I'm new to this position, but I'm by no means not new to the church. Uh, but for those of you who don't know me, if I am a, a new face to you, I thought a, a few thousand word uh, self-biography would be helpful for you to know because a picture is worth a thousand words, is it not? So uh, the first picture is this is actually me and Pastor Dave Keene right there. Um, great picture. That was at his uh, the, the Whale Done Awards where we congratulated and, and honored him for his 14 years of faithful youth ministry here at South Shores Church. I was in eighth grade when I first met Pastor Dave. I was avoiding him like the plague um, because I wanted nothing to do with youth ministry. I just wanted to come to church with my grandparents and go out to lunch with them afterwards. Um, But Dave hunted me down like a hyena and the donut table was never safe again after he became youth pastor here. But uh, ever since I became a a Christian, when Jesus saved me in high school, pastor Dave was there as a spiritual father of sorts to uh, raise me, to know Jesus and love Jesus, to know his word. And when I got the call to ministry Pastor Dave was there to teach me everything I know. So if I completely bomb today's sermon, it's Pastor Dave's fault. You can uh, get your emails to uh, Dave at SouthShores.org and tell him how terrible uh, he, he had done on, on, on raising me. Another picture that I'd like to, to show you is this is my wife and I. This is Shauna Dill, my wife. We met actually in high school, junior year of high school, and uh, dated from that time, went to Biola together. And we uh, graduated at Biola in May 2010 and wasted no time, got married in August of 2010, after that. Um, we've been married now for about over five years, and she is the delight of my eyes. She's my sister. She's my bride. Uh, she's a wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, is she here? Are you here, honey? There you are. Hi. I didn't see you on the helicopter on the way over. I'm sorry. Oh, and then, there's, and then there's the little one. Actually, go ahead and stand up, and this goes to the last picture, or this picture here. Three months ago, um, we had an addition to our family, That is little Daisy Jane. Uh, She was born three months ago on May 28th, and uh, she has been an absolute delight uh, to us. And that was from the mustache fiesta with the high schoolers. And you'll notice that Daisy is rocking a mustache of her own in that picture. As you can tell, she gets her looks from me. Um, But needless to say, with these pictures, I'm a blessed man. I'm a blessed man, and I am a grateful man. God has been kind to me. My life has not been without its downs, obviously, but as I stand before you here today, I'm a man who says, I have a kind, kind savior. But with that, I also come to you not with a profound sense of gratefulness. I come to you also with a problem this morning. And the problem's not just my problem. It's actually our problem. It's the South Shore's problem. And it's not simply South Shore's problem. It's actually a problem for all churches across the nation. The problem is, is that our youth are in trouble. I don't know if you are a reader of statistics, but a man named Christian Smith, who's a professor of religious studies in Notre Dame, uh, did a study on the religious life of America's youth in a book called Soul Searching. And in that book, he writes this conclusion after studying the religious life of youth within churches. He, he has this conclusion, our research suggests that churches are losing out to school and the media for the time and attention of their youth. Most teens know details about television characters and pop stars, but many are quite vague about Moses and Jesus. Most youth are well-versed about the dangers of drunk driving, AIDS, and drugs, But many haven't a clue about their own church's core beliefs. And because of this reality, youth eventually see the church to be little relevant in their lives. They eventually see the church to be a small blip on the radar of their vast amount of experiences. Something to enjoy maybe as a youth, but then leave later. As one study shows, according to researchers between... Seventy and eighty-eight percent of Christian teens are leaving the church by their second year in college. Read that again. Seventy to eighty-eight percent of Christian teens are leaving the church by their second year in college. Seventy to ninety percent of the church's youth cease coming to church after their second year of college. No doubt because of the new, res- new freedoms they have in college, the new experiences that are opened up to them, the l- a lack of restrictions now they have from not being around their parents. And also, no doubt because of the anti-gospel culture that is in a lot of uh, secular universities where if you are a believer of Jesus, that is the same thing of you being an idiot. No doubt those play a part, but nonetheless... 70 to 90%. And now this isn't only a relevant statistic for those in here who have kids. Some of you may be thinking, you know, I don't really have kids. And so I guess I just kind of kind of, you know, tune out for this sermon and wait for the songs to come back. But this is not only something that's relevant to Christian parents. This is relevant. If you have uh, uh, nephews or nieces that you want to see follow Jesus for the rest of the, your life, their life. If you have grandbabies who you want to see follow Jesus for the rest of their life, or if you are just a Christian man or woman, a member of our church, that wants to see the gospel of Jesus continually proclaimed in the generations to come, this is a problem for all of us. You see, at South Shores, I'm sure you've heard we're in the middle of a building program and we're trying to get ready to uh, uh, update our facilities. Because of this reason, we want to be a church that doesn't just have an influence in the gospel in our generation, but we want to see the gospel proclaimed in the generations to come. And buildings don't last forever. And so because that's the ethos, the heart of our church, we want to see our children have faith that lasts into the future, then we need to ask the question... How can we ensure the future faith of our children? What can we do to work in order to see our children walk with Jesus to their last day? Now, there's been answers who have been give, that have been given to this question. Um, one is sometimes people think, you know, we just need the pastors to be a little bit more involved in the lives of our youth. Now, pastors are a gift, Ephesians 4 says, a gift that God gives to the church. Pastors are a part of the solution, but they are not the solution. As great as Pastor Ty and Pastor Rob and Pastor Dave and the other pastors here at South Shores are, they are not the answer to this solution because the studies show that these kids who are leaving the church were exposed to pastors. It was something they had. Some of you may be thinking, all right, youth minister, I see where you're going now. You're about to say that you're the answer to all of our problems. No, this is not a job security sermon. Um, I'm not trying to show you your great need to have me at the church because I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not the answer to this either. All of the kids, again, in these studies who ended up leaving the church later in life were actively a part of youth groups and had relationships with their youth pastors, but they still left. And lastly, the youth ministry is not the answer either. I full-heartedly believe in our youth ministry as, as a way to make sure that our kids grow and love Jesus, but our youth ministry by itself is not the answer. For our answer, we can't look around us. We need to look up. We need to go to God's word. And so open your Bibles up with me to Deuteronomy chapter six, Deuteronomy chapter six. Now I know we're used to having the Bible put on the screen sometimes, but, um, You know, uh, I'm a youth pastor, so I procrastinate. So I didn't get enough time to put the stuff on the screen. No, just kidding. I actually think it's valuable for us to be in the pages of scripture. And so if you didn't bring your own Bible, grab one in the pew right in front of you. It's the black one right here. It says Holy Bible. We even got our logo printed on it. That's cool. Um, And we're in Deuteronomy. If you have a church Bible, it's going to be page 126. If you don't know your way around the Bible very well, that is completely okay. We're glad you're here to learn. The table of contents will be a great help to you in finding uh, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. If you can't find the table of contents, then there's no hope for you. I'm sorry. Um, Just kidding. You can get a neighbor to help you. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it's in this passage that I believe we're going to find God's answer for our question, how can we ensure the future faith of our children? But a little background because like a movie, in order to know what's happening in the middle of the movie, you needed to know what happened before. And so a little context for Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, the word, comes from two Greek words, deuteros and namas. Deuteros means to repeat. And namas means law. And so Deuteronomy is a book where Moses preaches a series of sermons where he is repeating the law that God had given the Israelites from Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. Now, the reason for this is very is very uh, important. You see, God's people, God chose a people through which the Messiah would come, the, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ our Lord. He chose a people um, and, and it became the nation Israel, and Israel uh, was enslaved to the nation Egypt. And God rose up Moses and delivered the Israelites from being enslaved to the Egyptians, brought them through the Red Sea, then to the Mount Sinai where he gave them the law, showing them how he would be their God and how they would be his people. But then after he gave them the law on Mount Sinai, he brought them to the edge of the land that he had promised to give them, the promised land. And they did not believe God's promise to give them the land. They disbelieved. They thought the inhabitants of the land were too strong. And so they said, God is just going to put us in there and we're just going to die. And because of their lack of faith, God then brought them to wander the wilderness for 40 years. Not entering the land that he had promised them because they did not have the faith to embrace it. And so they wandered 40 years in the wilderness until that faithless generation had passed away. When we come to the book of Deuteronomy, that has happened. They've been wandering in the desert for over 40 years. The faithless generation had passed away. And now, as they stand on the precipice of the promised land, looking into the land that God promised them at the River Jordan, Moses stands up in his ripe old years, and he seeks to repeat God's law so that God's people would not make the same mistake they made 40 years ago. Because as he looks into the promised land, he says that promised land is too good for us to repeat the same faithlessness that we had before. And so what he does is he brings them anew God's word. He brings them the law again. And we have our introductory comments in verse 1, chapter 6. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Now notice what he says next. The reason he's doing this, so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commandments that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. Moses stands addressing God's people and he says, I am giving you God's word So that not only you would follow him faithfully, but also your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and so on and so forth. Moses is, as God's servant, rising up to give God's people the answer, what can we do to ensure the future faith of our kids? And you'll notice what he's not going to say. Moses doesn't stand up in the next verse and say, all right, guys. Here's what we need to do. Bring all the kids to me and I will take care of it. He doesn't say, hey, let's just give them to the leaders or give them to the pastors. That's not his answer. Also, Moses is not standing up here going, okay, I'm going to give you God's law so that our children can walk faithfully with him. Here's what we need to do. Spruce up a resume and let's find a youth pastor. Right? Let's get a young Jewish boy, a young strapping Jewish man who's, who's both, he, he knows the times and the crazy music our kids listen to and, and, and knows how to have a good time and will you know, know how to deliver and order pizzas. And let's get him and he will make sure that our kids' faith lasts into the future. He doesn't say that either. And also he doesn't say, all right, here's what we need to do. Let's start a youth ministry. Those are not God's answers to ensure the future faith of our children. But here's what he says. Look in verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And here's the key. Impress them upon your children. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. Talk about my words when you walk along the road. When you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. In other words, here is God's answer to our problems, church God calls the parents to be the pastors of their kids. God calls the parents to be the pastors of their kids. He calls parents to pastor their children with his word. You see, in God's eyes, the moment that anybody becomes a mom or a dad, in God's eyes, they become pastor mom and they become pastor dad. You see, the reality is that God calls parents to be the primary youth pastors I've always found it funny when parents have talked to me going, Dana, I don't know how you do what you do. And I just tell them, you do it every day, 24-7. I get to clock out, at least, when it comes to the kids. But you don't. They follow you home. Parents are the primary youth pastors of their children. Or you can even say it this way. In God's eyes, when he looks at South Shore's church, he doesn't see one youth pastor named Dana. He sees dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of youth pastors that we call parents. So we have to ask the question, what does it mean to be a pastor in this sense? What does it mean to pastor our children? What does it mean to shepherd them, to disciple them? At the very base, there's a lot of things that could be said, but at the very base is this. As pastor, you are the one with responsibility. You're the one with responsibility. I remember uh, when Daisy was born, which was good because it was only three months ago. Um, There'd be problems if I didn't remember that. Uh, But I remember when she was born and I was in the delivery room. And I remember when the doctor first held her up, just freshly born. And I just looked at her and I just thought to myself, she is so slimy. and purple. (laughs) But then after they cleaned her up, um, (laughs) uh, and I held her in my arms for the first time, it hit me. I'm a daddy. I'm a daddy. It was a life-changing moment for me when I held my little seven and a half pound girl in my arms. And I remember those two days at the hospital. We were over at Mission Hospital and just being cared for by the nursing staff and instructed on how to to change a diaper, how to swaddle your baby, which I became the master swaddler by the end. Um, I could just do it one-handed, blindfolded. It didn't matter. Um, They helped us. They showed us what to do, how to hold her. I was prone to want to do the Lion King thing. You know, and just show everyone, this is my child, um, but you know their, their their necks aren't that strong," the nurses told me, so I couldn't do that. But I remember those first few days, and then I remember that last day. In that last day when we had to leave the hospital, it was terrifying. I was thinking, "They're going to let me take this little one home with me. I need an adult. I need an adult to help me out with this. This is not okay. And I remember taking my little girl, packing up our bags and and, and taking in the car seat and we're walking out and I've got mom in the, in the, the, the wheel, uh, the wheelchair thing, you know, um, and we're going and we're walking to the car and I was just ready for some nurse to come busting out of the hospital doors going, wait, someone stop them. They're taking that baby, (laughs) but it never happened. We got in our car, we drove home, and we started our life as a family of three. Why didn't that happen? Because parents are responsible for their kids. The moment she was born, I became Pastor Dad, and Shauna became Pastor Mom, and we then took on the responsibility for Daisy. And we know this. We understand this. We, you know, As parents, we're just... This is a basic idea, is that we take responsibility for our children. We feed them. We take them to the doctors. We endure their terrible music. We take them to sports practices. We get them registered for school. We make sure that they're doing their homework, and sometimes we even do their homework for them. Uh, We understand what it is to be responsible for our children. But this is the thing, church. Oftentimes, we forget our responsibility in the spiritual arena. We can master our responsibility in the earthly arena, get them on the team, get them good grades, get them in a good school. But sometimes we forget our responsibilities in the spiritual arena. Sometimes the voices of others telling us how we should raise our kids become so loud that God's voice begins to fade into the background. And we forget that not only are we to keep our kids alive and give them a good education so they can have a good future, but we are to prepare them to know and love their Lord. Sometimes we forget to pastor them, to disciple them. But there's no Christian parent, I think, that's going to stand up today saying, I object, preacher man. I am not responsible for my child. You are ridiculous. I am leaving. No one's going to say that. I wasn't afraid of that objection happening. I think every Christian parent and just every parent would say, yes, parents are responsible for their kids. Every Christian parent would say, yes, their parents should lead their kids to know and love Jesus and live for him. So my question is, what gets us off track? What gets us off track? We have intentions of gold to lead our kids to heaven's throne room itself, but sometimes the practice of that veers off course. Now, don't worry. I'm not about to tell you from my vast amount of parenting experience. um, What I've learned, you know, takes us off track. You know, me, my three-month-year-old, three-month-year-old, three-month-old. But I have been uh, working in youth ministry for over 10 years. And I have seen many different parents come and go through our church, and I've picked up a couple things. And there's two things in particular that I've seen that take parents off the course of discipling their children at home. This is the first one. Parents sometimes fall into the trap of outsourcing their responsibility. Sometimes parents fall into the trap of outsourcing their responsibility. Um, Oftentimes in America, the idea of outsourcing jobs to other countries becomes a problem. But oftentimes in the church, one of the biggest problems is that parents are taking their responsibility to care for their kids and giving it to somebody else. You see, oftentimes this looks like on a Wednesday night when parents will just kind of come and drop their kids off and and come back two hours later, not really caring what they learned, not really caring what they talked about at church, not really caring who the leaders are. They just kind of are glad they had two hours free from their kid and they hope they got a little religion on the way. Or sometimes we think that, oh, if I just bring my kid to church to hear the sermons and to meet the different people, then that will do the trick for my child. That will give them a faith in Jesus. But let me tell you, in the most sober terms this morning, our youth ministry here at South Shores Church will be of little to no benefit to your child if they're not being discipled at home. You see, it doesn't matter how good my sermons are. It doesn't matter how good Stephen's music is or how awesome his tattoos look. It doesn't matter how dynamic or involved our shepherd leaders are. It doesn't matter how fun our games or our camps are. We here at South Shores Church Youth Ministry will never be able to offset the 45 to 50 hours your children spend at school and practice every week. We will never be able to offset the 25 hours they spend with you at home. We will never be able to offset the 15 or so hours they spend hanging out with friends or on social media of various types. At the youth ministry here at South Shores, if they come to every program we offer and even meet with their leaders on top of that, we can get a max of four to five hours a week with them. If the if the burden of discipling your children is put upon the shoulders of our youth ministry, your children will not become disciples of Jesus Christ other than a miraculous work of God. And so parents, don't fall into the trap of outsourcing your privilege and responsibility to pastor your kids. Don't give it to others. It's yours. But second, the second thing I see parents get veered off course is this. Oftentimes, parents can make really good things the most important thing. Oftentimes, parents can fall into the trap of making really good things the most important thing. What does that look like? There are three really good things that I've seen parents fall into the trap of making the most important thing. One is this, making the team. Making the team. Have you noticed that sports are important to our youth? Have you noticed that high schools enjoy having sports teams and programs and, you know, Friday night football games are still very well attended? Now listen, sports are a really good thing. I was a high school wrestler. I wrestled all four years of high school as a CIF champion, masters and state qualifier, um, all American. I love sports. I invested a lot of time into sports in high school. Sports are not a bad thing. They are a gift that God has given to us. Amen. But let me say it clearly. Sports are not the ultimate thing. Sports are not the ultimate thing. Pastor Vody Bachum said it well. He said, if I teach my son to keep his eye on the ball, But I fail to teach him to keep his eyes on Christ. I have failed as a father. So making the team can sometimes become the most important thing. But also for other families, you may not be the sports family. You may be the school family. And so making the grade becomes the most important thing. Everything lives and dies by the GPA. A study that George Barnett did once showed that the number one goal of parents across the board for their kids was to get a good education. And rightfully so. Education is a gift God has given us. Christians should be the first ones who embrace a robust uh, understanding of the importance of the value of education. But again, education is not the most important thing. Your child's GPA will get them into college, but your child's GPA will not get them into heaven. It's not the most important thing. And lastly, oftentimes we can make the really good thing, we can try and uh, focus on making our children's future the ultimate thing. You see, as parents sometimes can get so caught up in thinking about their kids' near future, that means of what college will they go to, what job will they have, what house will they have, what spouse will they have, what life will they live. They can get so caught up in their child's near future that they completely forget about their child's eternal future. They think about the next few decades of their children's life, but they don't think about the next few billion years of their children's life. You see, I want my daughter Daisy to grow up and go to college. I want her to have a family. I want 10, 15, 20 grandbabies, right, from her alone. And I've got other kids I want to see grandbabies from too. I want to have an army of dills just everywhere. Start our own church, all right? Fill the pews. That's worked out historically, right? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I want her to grow up, have a healthy family. I want her to go to college. But more than anything, I want for my beautiful daughter, Daisy, to know and love the Lord Jesus. Because that is what is going to eternally matter for her. We want the best things for our kids. We should want the best things for our kids. And we do. But we need to remember, parents, what the best thing is. Or I could say it better. We need to remember who the best thing is. His name is Jesus. Don't be taken off track by these parents. Don't outsource your job. Don't make good things the most important thing. But now at the final part of this sermon, we have to go from the what, parents are the primary pastors of their kids, to the how. How does this look? You see, I didn't grow up in a family where family worship was a thing where it happened all the time. I'd, I don't know what it looks like to sing with a family at the house or what it looks like to have Bible study with the family at the house. My parents did the best they could. They loved us the best that they could. But that's not an experience that I have grown up with having an example set before me. And so it's important for us to ask the how question. What does this look like? And I have four simple directives that may be able to help get us as a church in the right direction. The first one, and I think it's an important one, is this. Parents, we need to go to Jesus for the forgiveness we need for our parenting failures and sins. You see, I know a lot of you right now, this entire sermon has just been one step of guilt and one measure of guilt and another measure of guilt. And you've been thinking, oh, I've totally messed up that. Oh, I've totally made the team or making the grade made made those the main thing and you may feel this guilt But here's the good news that the church has to offer Sunday after Sunday. There is forgiveness for sin. Amen There is a savior for sinners I praise God that my relationship with God is not based upon my parenting performance But it's based upon the performance of Jesus Christ on my behalf on the cross That God does not, his love, even our parenting cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, if this sermon has been a guilt trip, let it be the good guilt trip. What's that? The kind of guilt trip that leads you straight to the cross, where you turn away from your sin, you lose your guilt, and you find your joy. Let us be led to Jesus this morning and find forgiveness fresh. But from the cross, let us then listen for our instruction. And here's the next thing. Not only should we go to the Savior for forgiveness, but we need to learn how to savor the Savior at our home, to savor him and his word. Look back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Yeah, verse 5. Before he tells them to impress his word upon their children. Here's what Moses says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Did you notice what he did? Before he told the parents what to do, he told the parents who to love. You see, parents, the greatest gift that you can give to your children is your own deep and abiding love and enjoyment of Jesus Christ. My wife is a lover of chocolate. So is my grandma. Um, if you know Barbara, she's a fond lover of chocolate. A fiend, someone, someone say. Um, <laughs> but I remember one time I was sitting at home and my wife was in the kitchen and all of a sudden I just hear this. Mm. I put my book down, and I look over to the kitchen. What is my crazy wife doing? And I look over to her, and she's just sitting at the island, hands on the table. hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 Yes, almost worshipful experience I'm watching her have. And I'm looking, and then I see in her hand a piece of Trader Joe's dark chocolate. Right. She's eating chocolate. And at first, I, the first reaction that I had to this crazy scenario is just to laugh at her because she looked ridiculous. It was so funny. We're just, in the, you know, just enjoying it, making funny noises, making funny faces. But soon, my laughing at her turned into me wanting some chocolate as well. You see, me watching her savor the chocolate, enjoy how it tasted, enjoy how it felt, made me first laugh, but second, made me go, I want some of that. She did not have to say a word to me in order to make me want what she was enjoying. Because the best advertisement for anything is an enjoyment of the product. Do you want your kids to grow and love Jesus? Then make it your everyday goal to love Jesus with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. Do your children see you savor the Savior? Do they see you enjoying his mercy given to you through the cross? Do they see you enjoying the Holy Spirit who lives within you? Do they see you enjoying his word like a piece of dark chocolate lingering in its pages? Do your children hear you sing to the Savior while we're here at service? Do they see you make Christ a priority? Not because it is your duty, but because he is your delight. The greatest gift that we can give to our children is a deep and abiding love for Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not your everything, then Jesus most likely will be your child's nothing. Because we can talk about the Savior all day long, but unless they see us actually enjoying him, it will only go so far. The best gift you can give your children is your own love for the Savior. The, the third thing is this. We must unleash the word at home. Again, look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. Impress the commandments upon your children. He's saying, impress God's word upon the hearts of your children. And notice how he says to do it. Talk about them when you sit at home. Parents. When you're sitting at home, are you talking about God's word? And also talk about them when you walk along the road. Talk about them when you lie down, when you cuddle up in bed together. Or if your kids are too big to cuddle up with, when you're laying down on the couch together or or just hanging out having a lazy day. Talk about his word then. Talk about it when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. Do you see God's point here? Let God's word fill your family, fill your home like oxygen does. Let it be everywhere, on everything, in every conversation, because God's word is what gives life. If you want your home to be characterized by life, then fill your home with God's word. And if you don't know what this looks like, how to read the Bible with your family, like I said, we don't always have uh, models of this growing up. In the back, there is the PIN. It stands for the Parent Information Newsletter. And in there, there are two articles on helping to get this kind of activity started in your family. I recommend them to you. Also, um, uh, the youth ministry has tons of resources for this very thing. But the last thing is this, not only should we go to Christ for forgiveness, not only should we savor him at home, not only should we unleash his word, but we also must connect our family with God's family. We must connect our family with God's family. You see, Christianity, through and through, is a team sport. It's not done alone. Christianity is a lot more like football and a lot less like golf. Golf. We need each other. Amen? And so some of you, you need help. And I encourage you, go to the pastors. Pastor Rob, Pastor Dave, Pastor Ty, Pastor Tandy. They have raised kids to know and love the Lord. Ask them for some tips. That's what I did when I became a new husband and a new father. And they helped me. But also, lean on the youth ministry, families. As you're connecting your family with the church, connect with the youth ministry because youth ministry does not replace you, but we resource you. Youth ministry will not supplant your role as the parent, but we will supplement it. I think Home Depot has a great slogan for our youth ministry. You can do it, but we can help. That's why we exist here, not to disciple your kids for you, but to help you disciple your kids. And the last thing is this. We need to speak also for those who don't have little ones of their own in the home. And first, we can even speak to the little ones. So kids, raise your hands. If you are under 18 years old, raise your hands. Okay. Two things. Encourage your parents. They need it. Parenting is not easy, right? And I'm only a parent for three months. (laughs) I'm about to die. No, I'm just kidding encourage your parents students, if you want God's word talked about in your home if you want Jesus to be praised and honored then, then do this hey dad can you read me a couple chapters of the bible or hey before dinner mom, can you read a couple chapters of the bible just ask them, could you do this also ask them your questions about God, ask them your questions about theology, ask them the questions about how, how God is working in our lives. But kids encourage your parents. And when they do that, cheer them on, but also kids obey your parents, obey your parents, kids, listen, your love for Jesus Christ is most clearly demonstrated in your love for your parents. Because God has given you, your parents, as your pastors, and he is calling you to love them and respect them and obey them. Worship Jesus by loving your parents and honoring them. Some of you in here are experienced empty nesters. I've already done this, preacher man. My kids are long gone. Then can you teach others how to do it, please? Can you find other young families and help them, support them, encourage them on how to disciple their kids? Some of you are grandparents in here. And I just want to give you a, a word of encouragement. Do not underestimate what God can do through you for your grandchildren. I very much believe that a majority of my coming to Jesus Christ was the responsibility of two people, Glenn and Barbara Dill. Who we're sitting right over here. Though I only saw them a few times a week or visits here and there, I could see them savor the Savior in such a way where I knew that Jesus was the most important thing. Grandparents, pour into your grandbabies. And lastly, South Shores, let, we, let us become a church where we love our youth. Let us become a church where we as a church don't just outsource youth ministry to the youth ministry, but may we be a church who is a great youth ministry. Amen. May we look for kids to learn their names, to learn what they go to school, learn what sports they go to, and maybe even show up to their games to show them that we love them like Christ has loved us. I remember in high school, I went to the state wrestling championship up in Bakersfield. And up in the stands, there was about 12 or 14, uh, 60 to 70 year olds. And my coach says, who's that? That's Dana's cheering squad. They're all members of South Shores Church, and they've adopted Dana as their very own grandkid. People like the Hamros and the Princes and the Fries and the Huffmans. I'm telling you today, church, we have a powerful ministry to give to our youth. Let us take hold of it and let us honor our Savior by discipling our youth and helping our parents. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would bring your word home into our hearts, that you would impress your word into our hearts, you would help us love you more than anything. And that you would instruct us to do so for our kids, our grandkids, or the youth in our church. Because, Lord, we do not want to be a generational church. We want to be a multi-generational church that has a multi-generational vision that goes well into the future. Because Jesus Christ is a Savior who deserves not just to be praised now, but forevermore. Lord, help us to labor that our children may have future faith, that you may have glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.